It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, what have you. Or maybe you're a commuter. You don't be looking at your phone while you're finding your favorite podcast. You can always just ask your smart device, like Siri or even Google Home, Alexa, play podcast Locked On Vikings. And today, we, of course, have a whole bunch of news to talk about. The Vikings announced a bunch of coaching moves. We're going to spend the majority of the show talking about that. But first, I want to talk about the Viking of the day. This is a bit of a tradition that I'm going to do all the way up until draft season really starts. Well, then we'll we'll switch to prospect of the day. But I want to just kind of appreciate some of my favorite Vikings of the old times. And I want to talk about today E.J. Henderson. He was one of my favorites uh, as a kid and as a teenager, for sure. And his story is one that, that is pretty compelling and has some twists and turns and ends up pretty happy. You probably remember him as a a mainstay of the Vikings for almost a decade. He was always a freakish athlete and somebody that could play linebacker at a really high level in the kind of 2007, 2008, and especially 2009 seasons. He was an absolute force for the Vikings defense, making all sorts of plays and truly like feats of athleticism that I can remember vividly to this day. I remember him jumping over the offensive line to get an insane run stop where he just like dove at the running back and hit him in the shoulder pads. And, and I, I can, I'll never get that image out of my head of just thinking about that from the running back's perspective. And this giant linebacker man is coming at you. I I actually had the privilege of seeing EJ Henderson in person once when I was working at a golf course, he came through and he's just like huge. And I just thought about like that sized person airborne coming at you. And I just can never get that thought out of my head. And that's probably what I remember EJ Henderson for the most, except for his injury. Perhaps the first sign of impending doom in that magical 20, or 2009 season was E.J. Henderson breaking his femur in a gruesome injury that he would never fully recover from, both in his football career, but like also like as a person. He still has a titanium rod in his leg from breaking his entire femur. And he came back and he played reasonably in 2010 and 2011 and stuff. He played out the rest of the contract that he was on, and when it was time to, for him to re-sign with the Vikings, they kind of offered him the, you are declining, you're getting old, you're injured, uh, you know, lesser contract, kind of like what Everson Griffin was playing on and might might continue to play on here uh, coming up. The old Brian Robeson contract, I guess, is maybe a better comparison. And he said no to that. He said, no, 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 I I still think I'm a productive linebacker. The Vikings didn't agree. He actually admits in hindsight that the Vikings probably were a little more realistic than he was being about it, but he went and he tested free agency. He got a couple of veteran minimum deals. Nothing really bit. He worked out for the Tennessee Titans, but it didn't really pan out. And that was it for his, his career. He thought he could go get more money, and suddenly he was out of football entirely. And I think that so many careers end like sadly like that with a with a whimper, you know, somebody who really could have been a a stalwart for, you know, somebody who could have been on the Chad Greenway level for the Vikings. And he never really will be because he didn't play long enough. He always seemed also kind of like somebody who couldn't quite put it together for the first few years of, of his time on the defense, and then when he finally really was putting it together and playing like a superstar, it seemed like he was ripped away all too soon. And I think that 
is what it feels like more to think about EJ Henderson versus like Chad Greenway. Okay, yes, great player, you know, Ring of Honor, uh, uh, shoe in, great, perfect, everything was wonderful for years and years and years. With EJ Henderson, you think of, oh, wow, what a dynamic guy, what could have been had he not been hurt? But off the field and after his career, EJ Henderson's been up to some stuff that I think you should know about. He has dedicated so much of his time and energy and life into youth football programs and into getting kids outside and playing and fighting childhood obesity and all of that stuff. He started a, a charity and a youth program, a youth football program that's uh, since defunct. He became the youth football director for the Vikings, so he's still involved with the Vikings. And, and I'll uh, link a, a donate page in the show notes if you're into it, he has a youth foundation that focuses on youth football and nutrition and, you know, keeping kids in good shape and in uh, in good health. He has a foundation that is still running to this day, and I'll, I'll link a page below, and you can go donate to it. And I think that's really worth celebrating, and if I had my choice, that's what EJ Henderson would be known for. But okay, okay, enough of this, right? We, this is not what you want to be hearing about. The Vikings have a whole bunch of coaching changes that we need to talk about here. Uh, so the big one, obviously, and we already reported on it, but uh, Gary Kubiak officially is the offensive coordinator. Interestingly, he's also keeping his assistant head coach job, which is something that previous offensive coordinators haven't had. And to me, that suggests, and I could be totally off base and totally wrong about this, but to me, at least I think it suggests that Mike Zimmer is not going to be as active in the offense. After all, it's Gary Kubiak running the thing, not somebody like, you know, Pat Shermer with a questionable record or somebody like Kevin Stefanski with a lack of experience who, you know, is going to accept all the advice from the older guys. He is probably going to leave this all entirely to Gary Kubiak. So if you're one of those people that thinks that, say, the second and 10 runs, something I've complained about a lot, were all Mike Zimmer saying, no, 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 you have to run more. Well, he's going to have his hands out of it. I think Gary Kubiak probably feels the same way, so he might not have that problem actually fixed. But if you thought Mike Zimmer meddling in the offense was a problem, this suggests that that problem will be alleviated. Personally, I think that he had a little bit of a positive effect. I think the two most successful offensive seasons were also the two seasons where it was reported that he would be the most involved, and that was 2017 and 2019. Obviously, there's lots of personnel stuff going on, and those were the years where the offensive line was best, and there's a lot of other factors to that, but I never really saw that as too much of a negative. That said, the offense is in the hands of somebody who has run this offense for 25 years, won a Super Bowl head coaching it, although, I mean, even though he had Peyton Manning, and keeps continuity, and all the stuff that we talked about last time, we talked about Gary Cooper when it was, you know, first reported that he was going to take over as offensive coordinator, but now it's official. In addition to Gary Kubiak becoming the official offensive coordinator for the Vikings, the Vikings also promoted Andre Patterson and Adam Zimmer both to the co-defensive coordinator positions. This suggests that the Vikings wanted to reward them both for a long tenure with the team of doing good work as position coaches, but also didn't want to take them out of those position coaching roles. If Andre Patterson is good at coaching D-line, you still want him to coach D-line, but giving him that extra defensive coordinator title is is the reward that keeps him in the building. The Vikings promoted assistant offensive line coach Andrew Janoko to wide receivers coach and added assistant offensive line coach Phil Rauscher to the offensive room where he reunites with the Kubiaks, Brian Periani, and Rick Dennison. They also added defensive backs coach Durante Jones, who has previously coached defensive backs with the Bengals and Dolphins, as well as a long tenure as a college defensive backs coach. And I got a lot more information, a lot more background talking about these guys coming right up. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving 
time. I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. So I think the elephant in the room really is that the Vikings structure, especially on the defensive side, but really on the whole, is a little bit awkward, right? There are some unconventional things going on. As far as I could research, I've never seen another example of an NFL team going with co-defensive coordinators. I found one Ohio State team that did it and then some other weird stuff at like uh, lower level colleges. But otherwise, like just to search for the words co-defensive coordinator sorting before the day that this news broke and you don't really find anything. It's kind of an untested setup. And I don't think the Vikings would take that kind of risk if it weren't like really advantageous to them or if they weren't like specifically trying to do something. So I don't think this is a matter of, you know, being too lazy to go out and get another defensive coordinator or not wanting to add a new voice to the room. I think that there is one way to keep both Adam Zimmer and Andre Patterson in the building for the long term, and it's to give them both a defensive coordinator title. But giving one of them a defensive coordinator title comes at a pretty significant cost, right? Because they're both well-established developers of talent. I think if you had to prioritize one, you would probably prioritize keeping Patterson coaching the defensive line and, you know, maybe either promoting Adam Zimmer or letting Adam Zimmer walk and promoting Andre Patterson and staying, saying, no, 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 you know, you're still going to work with the defensive line, just like Mike Zimmer would always work a lot with the defensive backs when he was a defensive coordinator and honestly when he's a head coach too. You could do that if you wanted to just like promote one of them and then, but then stay, hey, you know, your defensive coordinator slash defensive line coach. That happens all the time. That's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, a common move that's made for specifically this reason. So making them both co-defensive coordinator is a little bit of a weird comp compromise, right? What's the power structure going to be there? But knowing what we know about the Vikings, we can actually make some pretty safe assumptions about this, that Mike Zimmer is going to call the plays. Of course he will, right? He tried to give it up to George Edwards like three years ago. He didn't like it. And that was kind of the only time George Edwards would even get to call plays. And that's probably why he wanted to get out of Mike Zimmer's shadow anyways. And so taking over those George Edwards duties of being like an installer of game plans and an executor of scheme and a developer of talent, those are things that Zimmer and Adam Zimmer and uh, George, or, and Andre Patterson are well-established and good at. And now they just get to kind of like oversee the greener and less established, you know, rest of the defensive staff. They just get to both be in charge. The thing is, 
that kind of power structure depending on who those guys are and if there's ego involved and knowing what we know about them it doesn't seem like there's much I don't know a lot about Adam Zimmer but I know with Andre Patterson he definitely doesn't seem like the kind of guy with like an ego issue that's going to get in the way but you never know when this kind of you know power structure is introduced and shaken up you know who knows what what could get weird that's not really what I'm worried about I'm mostly worried about the development of the defensive backs so Durante Jones spent most of his time as a developer in college and that's different than, you know, developing in the NFL, but being a defensive assistant, right, you know, you work your way up to the NFL ranks, uh, and he started in the NFL, uh, I believe, with the with the Dolphins, helping to develop Xavier Howard, uh, who, of course, turned into a superstar cornerback. That ended up after, you know, Miami's staff, one of Miami's staff clearouts, he ends up in Cincinnati, where he goes and uh, mostly is responsible for the development of William Jackson, which has been kind of... Uh, disappointing, I guess, for them, uh, and Darius Phillips, who was kind of a breakout star in 2019, and that's kind of where his name is hanging. But I, I think that there have been too many failures in those spots under his tutelage for me to really feel like good about this guy as a defensive backs coach. Like, it's really, really difficult to see Durante Jones matching Jerry Gray's uh, level of development of talent. Now, here's the thing. The head coach is a DB guru, and that's his whole claim to fame, right? But without your trusted D-backs coach, that might get a little bit more difficult. So, you know, if you think about, like, okay, who is going to be, you know, why should we have hope for a young corner entering the Vikings? Well, Mike Zimmer, why should we have coach? hope for a young defensive line entering the Vikings. Well, you know, Andre Patterson and, and Adam Zimmer as well with the linebackers. So I, I definitely see, like, it's hard to see a, a spot where the Vikings are like, nope, they're not good at this anymore because George Edwards is gone. And part of that is because it was so difficult to ascertain what George Edwards was actually responsible for here. Most of it is speculation and just kind of checking off, okay, once defensive play calling is out, what else did, you know, defensive assistants do? But all in all, the defensive staff, I mean, all these moves too, are meant to keep as much continuity as possible. You know, now Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter and, you know, whoever is Stephen Weatherly and Fadio Denebo, they don't have to get used to a new position coach. They're still going to be coached by Andre Patterson and none of that's going to change and they can only just focus on growing. They don't have to learn how to work with a new coach, right? And that, that is the thing that the Vikings, I think, were trying so very hard to preserve. And I think that they've accomplished that goal on the defensive side of the ball here. I do think that, like, a new young corner, I feel less good about them than I did with Jerry Gray. But I mean, yeah, you lose Jerry Gray, you're going to lose some value. That's very, very difficult to replace. And it's why when Jerry Gray left, I kind of touted it as a very bad thing, but we kind of covered that. All in all, the goal of this whole offseason, and I'm, it's going to come up a whole bunch of times as I do this show throughout the whole offseason, the goal of the offseason is to prevent yourself from getting worse. Because you're dealing with cap issues, you're dealing with aging players, you're dealing with coaches leaving. So you have to prevent yourself from getting worse. And losing George Edwards and Jerry Gray and replacing them with uh, one guy who's coached like two good cornerbacks in the NFL and a whole bunch of college players, that feels like a net loss to me. Though it's not one that sounds any alarm bells or makes me think that the whole team is falling apart, right? You're just losing some, uh, some experience and some skill at the, the lower levels, you know, the deeper levels of the defensive assistance. But I think the actual, like the George Edwards to, you know, Andre Patterson slash Adam Zimmer, I don't have a huge issue with that. I think it keeps them both in the organization. 
I think that if if Adams, I still kind of like. There's a part of me that can't get it out of my head that if Adam Zimmer was named, you know, Adam Johnson, like, does he get this role? Does is he in this job in the first place? But it's difficult to result to to argue with a decade of experience, you know, nepotism notwithstanding. So it's you know it's hard for me to like make a huge stink about it, but I'll never really get it out of my head that maybe things look a little bit different if the coach's son isn't on the team. But I think on his own merits, it's a, a defensible enough decision. I mean, he's got plenty of experience, right? He's been coaching linebackers for over a decade. So that split versus George Edwards, I don't see a huge issue there. I think that, you know, while losing Edwards stinks because he is a really good developer of talent, the guys who are taking over that are still also very good developers of talent. And three people is better than two, but I don't think you got like a whole lot worse there. I think you got a little worse at the D-backs coach position this year. And it sucks because a legendary D-backs coach leaves and that's really difficult to replace. And I don't really blame them for not being able to replace it, but it's still stands to reason that it sucks and you got a little bit worse. And before we move on to some of the offensive coaching breakdowns, I just want to let you all know that we have ad space available for you guys to come get involved in. If you have a business and you especially want to sell to a local audience, people that will want to support your local business, we are here and waiting to help you make that happen. You hear the ad reads and how we do all this how vigilantly we support you and your business. And if you want in on that, especially with the diehard Vikings fans that are going to listen to a Vikings podcast deep into the offseason, if you want to advertise to that kind of person, text the word advertising to 33777. That's the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are and why you want to be involved. We are all here for you to help you achieve Locked On Advertising success. So text advertising to 33777 or go to LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know what the deal is. Okay, let's move on to the offensive coaches. I already talked a little bit about Gary Kubiak, but there's a couple other decisions as well that weren't a little bit of discussion. For one, let's talk a little bit about uh, Andrew Janoko. So Janoko has been like an offensive assistant generically a couple of times in the Vikings organization and kind of one of the lower level guys you would have never heard of. Of course, he sort of made a name for himself as the interim offensive line coach in 2018 when Tony Sperano passed away, but he wasn't able to retain that job and it didn't really seem like the offensive line was was coached well enough for them to not want to go out and bring out, you know, Rick Dennison. An offensive line coach seemed to be kind of a need in the 2018 or in the 2019 offseason. If I recall on this podcast, I went over a whole bunch of offensive line coaching candidates, Rick Dennison being one of them, but like Brian Callahan and all this guy, all this stuff. And so for him to go from offensive line assistant to wide receivers coach, something that he's been a generic offensive assistant, but never uh, specifically coached the wide receivers before, that's a bit of a head scratcher to me. That said, he's been in the organization. They've seen him talk about, you know, wide receivers and stuff. To me, I don't know where his experience coaching wide receivers comes from. He didn't play wide, he played quarterback for a couple of years in college, so he didn't like play wide receiver. He's never coached specifically the wide receivers, but I doubt that they would just do this because he was conveniently available. There are wide receivers coaches out there that worked for, you know, Washington or worked for other zone run schemes that may be out of work or looking for something, or even somebody like I suggested on a previous show in Mike Grow, or even somebody from the college ranks that they could have promoted if they wanted to go find somebody with more experience. So again, this is a move that lends itself more toward continuity. This is a face that is familiar, that everybody's seen going around. The group 
of of wide receivers dates all the way back. I mean, it's Diggs and Thielen, and then you've got like one rookie in Ola B.C. Johnson who he probably hasn't worked a ton with, and the rest of the group is probably up in the air. The thing is, there probably will be an influx of people. I mean, there probably will be new people. I highly, highly doubt you're going to see, you know, a wide receiver group where they roster four again, and it's those three and Laquan Treadwell, and then like that's like Chad Beebe, and that's your group. I highly doubt that that happens, and, and you know, by September, we're looking at the exact same wide receiver room, right? That's of course not going to happen. It was a thing all throughout training camp that the wide receivers were bad, and really after Diggs and Thielen, you didn't get a ton out of anybody except for Ola B.C. Johnson, but he still played like better than you'd expect for a third round rookie, but not at like a starting quality level. So developing him and then also getting, uh, you know, getting a, another young member of the wide receiver core. I wouldn't be surprised to see a late round wide receiver pick again. They love to do that. Or even another chance for guys like Dylan Mitchell and uh, you know Alexander Hollins and all that. They're all coming back for another shot at the roster. And so Andrew Janoko will now be in charge of developing them. And I'll be really interested to see how that turns out. And if, you know, continuity and not needing to get to know a new person is more valuable than like actual physical experience coaching the specifically wide receivers. This is going to be his first time doing it. And I'm curious to see how it turns out. The Vikings also added Phil Rauscher as an assistant offensive line coach. So this is another kind of continuity move. They That's a guy who already has worked under Rick Dennison as an assistant offensive line coach and therefore has worked with Periani and Kubiaks and all of those guys. And he's worked, uh, he's stayed within the scheme during the times that, you know, that whole crew kind of had split up. He went over to Washington where it was Jay Gruden who runs the same Shanahan scheme, came up under Mike Shanahan just like all the rest of them, worked with Sean McVay worked with all those guys, so he knows how to help with the technique, and that's what an assistant offensive line coach does, right? You know, he they'll be in working with uh, the younger guys, working on technique, and, you know, doing a little bit less of the high-level stuff, but being more hands-on, and that's what an assistant offensive line coach's job is, and he's been able to do that with the, the techniques that are required of the zone blocking scheme, things like bucket steps, or that, like, that first really lateral horizontal step that you usually see on a zone running play or a zone uh, uh, play action, like a bootleg play. Teaching those techniques is going to be kind of his job, and he comes in a place where he's going to be very familiar and and very, you know, consistent with what he's already knows how to do. Basically, it seems like the whole point of this whole coaching shakeup is to fill in the holes and the needs and get all of the responsibilities delegated and whatever title you need to do after this, you know, throw whatever title you need to, but get all the responsibilities delegated while forcing people to learn as few new things as possible. And that was kind of the top priority we talked about when we talked about this coaching. Keep continuity, you know, don't shake everything up and make everybody learn new terminology and don't, don't, don't mess all that stuff up. But I think they might have overdone it a little bit. And here's my main concern. You know, Janoko doesn't have a lot of experience, you know, at Durante Jones. I don't think he's as good as Jerry Gray. These are all super minor nitpicky things. And I and I don't think that, you know, during the season I'm going to be going, ah, oh, gosh, you know, this they lost this game because Durante Jones wasn't as good as Jerry Gray. It'll affect things. I think it'll have a little bit of an impact and it's worth mentioning. But it's not going to, like, define stuff. What I think might define stuff, and I think the, you know, the, the operative mistake I think they're making right now that we might look back back after 2020 and say, hey, you know, they should have done this, is 
what I talked about when we talked about Gary Kubiak. They didn't bring in a new perspective really at all. The two new voices they brought in are the cornerbacks coach who doesn't have a ton of experience in the actual NFL. He's only been in the NFL for I think like five years, which comparatively is like not that much. He's been in the college ranks, of course, for forever though. And somebody who works in the exact same scheme and knows the Kubiaks very well and is like ready to come in and like doesn't need to like onboard a whole bunch and won't have like a huge barrier of entry, but won't bring anything new. And so my concern right now for the actual scheming, and of course, you know, they've got all offseason to figure this out, and they've got a lot of people that aren't going to have to learn a lot of new things, so you have a lot of room to throw new stuff at them that can be productive instead of just playing catch-up. Uh, you know, you can kind of get ahead of it and, and add new wrinkles that you can do. But, you know, they don't have somebody who is familiar with a spread offense or somebody who's familiar with an Air Coriel really in the building at all. So you don't have a lot of scheme diversity. And I think that's something that you lost with Kevin Stefanski was scheme diversity. That was one of the biggest, uh, you know, draws to Stefanski in making him offensive coordinator in the first place. And of course, head coach for Cleveland is that he's worked under all of the schemes. And so that therefore he has, you know, he can pull out concepts from Air Coriel when the defense that they play calls for it. And you can kind of do that stuff. If you wanted to install it, you have the option to do so. They don't really have the option to do so. They're going to do what they do, and they're probably going to execute it really well. And it's something that, you know, if you can't defend against that, you're going to get absolutely blown out. And that happened this year to Philadelphia and to Oakland and to, to the Lions. And that'll happen again in 2020. There will be teams who just cannot defend the wide zone or are particularly poor at executing wide zone defense and, and you know, reading play action and stuff. And the Vikings are probably going to put up like 42 on some people. And that's going to happen. And that's exciting. But when it comes to beating better defenses and beating better teams, especially if the playoffs come up or even just beating like the Packers who clearly had this figured out, you have to come up with a new wrinkle and they don't have a new perspective or somebody bringing in original ideas. They have everybody that they already know. Maybe that'll work out. Maybe it'll be okay. But consider that my main concern for this. But all in all, I think keeping continuity probably takes priority over that. And so prioritizing continuity over a new voice if you had to make the choice, I think they made the right one. I don't think they had to make the choice and I would have liked to see them get somebody else in the building. But I'm not overly concerned about it. It's not really going to be the thing that I focus on for the rest of the offseason. Again, worth mentioning, but it's not apocalyptic. And uh, real quick before I go, I want to just say a couple words about the biggest sporting news really of, of the whole week, which is uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter and uh, seven other people tragically passing away in a helicopter crash in Calabasas. And, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with football or the Vikings, but I, I think that Kobe Bryant's impact affects sports so much that it's worth mentioning. I think everybody who has a relationship with sports has that relationship somehow affected by Kobe Bryant, you know, be it just being a kid. Like I, I was a dumb kid and you'd throw a piece of paper in the wastebasket and you'd yell Kobe and everybody in the whole world does that. And that's a legacy that there was a, a viral tweet about it that I saw that was like made that point. That's a very true point. But, you know, Bryant's legacy also has a pretty large dark stain on it in the the scandal of the sexual assault allegations that he went through in the early 2000s that's something that's really difficult to just like forget when calling him you know a legend and a hero and all that stuff i don't think that makes it untrue though like i don't think it makes him not a, a hero to some people i mean look at how many athletes look up to him and used him as inspiration to become athletes in the first place his impact on sports is such that the landscape of sports probably looks a lot different without all these kids looking up to Kobe as kids. And those kids to 
took, you know, the good from him and not the bad. And I think that that's kind of beautiful. And so to this, I say that it is a, a complicated feeling when you lose a hero, but also that forces you to reconcile with the things that made him not so heroic. And I don't think there's a good way to talk about it. I probably didn't talk about it right. I don't think there's a good way to express it. So I guess I just encourage you all, if you're going to engage about that kind of thing on social media, to just give people the space they need to process it the way they have to process it. And I think that goes for, I mean, all matters of grief, you know, if somebody loses a loved one or whatever. But, you know, losing a hero can hurt, even though you never met him. And even though, you know, you only ever just like watched him on TV and read headlines about him, losing that kind of person can hurt and have an emotional effect on people because it, it affects the way you think about life. That's what sports and and really any pop culture thing is. It affects the way that you think about life. There's not much about Kobe's career or, or legacy that I can really go into detail on because I was never that big of a basketball fan, but to people like me and to people who are bigger basketball fans than me, I think it matters to everybody. And I think that in and of itself is worth appreciating that, you know, tragedy kind of brings people together and there's something, you know, beautiful about that. So a lot of sports journalists and people who cover basketball saying, yeah, I just like hugged my kids a lot tonight. And there's something weirdly poignant and beautiful about how something tragic can, you know, you react to it by showing somebody you love that you love them. And I don't know, something about that just gets me. So on, on that uh, it's more somber note, I guess, uh, that's going to wrap up this episode of Locked on Vikings. I was going to do a mailbag today. Uh, I'm going to probably do it tomorrow unless there's other news that breaks. So tweet me at Luke Braun NFL or at Locked on Vikings. You can uh, ask me those questions. I'll tweet out and asking for more questions uh, tomorrow as well. I'll try to get to everything that I can in tomorrow's show. Otherwise, we're going to keep on with the uh, postmortems and then move on to mock offseason stuff. In the meantime, again, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. We'll see y'all tomorrow, and as always, skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked on NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked on Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked on Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.